When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome. We are uh, to another episode of the WFNY Cornercast brought to you by the Evergreen Podcast Network. I am your host, Joe Gerberry, or Gerbs, uh, alongside Mitch Crawl and Ethan Forness. Um, is there any other way to start the podcast tonight than uh, the big news of the day? Josh Naylor is going to start his rehab in Columbus, guys, not Akron. Is that is that weird to you? I feel like the Akron roster is uh, prime for a guy like Naylor to be there. Not yeah. Um, Go ahead. Akron only has three position players, but I am pleased he drew a walk in his debut plate appearance so far. So off to a rip roaring start for Naylor. Yeah, he needs to. Uh, he needs to face that higher level. It's all that's that's clearly the news. They just wanted to face the higher level uh, starting Makes pitching sense. in AAA. Yeah. Makes sense. No, sense. no, 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 no. We had great news this morning, Gerbs. I, I, it's a, I am it's a not yes afraid way, to admit. This way, Jose Day. Oh, it is yes way, Jose. That's what the Guardians front office and, and ownership decided. Uh, yeah, yes we, way, uh, Jose. Yep, we got to, uh, I think I got to break the news to you guys on Discord today, uh, that the, the extension that we have long been awaiting happened. The Jose Ramirez extension. He got a five-year deal tacked on, on top of the two-year option years that he had um, that were... Uh, very team friendly for his production. I think it was 12.8 and 14.8 million per year. Uh, and uh, next year and the year after he's going to be making um, five years, $124 million after those two option years that uh, obviously have vested now and um, giving him a 24.8 million, a uh, AAV it's um, annual. No, what is it? Average, average annual, annual value, value yeah. uh, which yeah, makes him the fourth highest uh, third baseman in Major League Baseball. Yeah. If you want to think about it, it's just like it's now a seven-year, $150 million contract. That's like a nice round number. That's about what it is. And, uh, you know, that's uh, not what he'd get if you were a free agent this year. He would get more money than that. He's For a 29-year-old sure. star third baseman. Uh, but – uh, as far as the five years are concerned, it, it wasn't actually that much below where you'd expect a 31-year-old third baseman to to make in free agency. Like actually, like I mean, I don't wanna don't wanna compliment. It's hard it's hard to compliment this team right now in terms of like spending and stuff. But like to those who are like, oh, they, Ramirez is leaving so much money on the table, eh, he's not leaving that much money on the table. He's leaving some, certainly, but not that much. Um, also, for the listeners, Gerbs is wearing a Yes Way Jose t-shirt. Uh, we didn't just say that for no reason. <laughs> uh, but Ethan, what do you think of what do you think of what this this means for uh, for the future for the future of this team and this core? So obviously, as a fan, I am both a stunned that it happened and and b thrilled. Uh, I don't think. I still haven't been able to put the words together for how it truly feels. I, I spent my work day today kind of walking around what felt like on clouds. I, I stopped in at a place that had ESPN on the TV and saw the ticker school across that Guardians had agreed to an extension with Jose, and it just didn't feel real to me. So to further up on some points that you've already said, I, it, it cannot be understated how fortunate this fan base and this front office are that Jose took that hometown discount just because he loves the city of Cleveland. I will say he's a smart man. I, I don't think he agrees to this without having had some sort of three, four, five year plan laid out to him by the front office without knowing what the talent at the top of the farm looks like. He obviously played with a lot of these guys in spring training. You know, if he didn't think he was going to have guys coming up that could support him, then he probably would have looked elsewhere. But at the same time, from a team perspective, this is a move that has to be the first stepping stone. You've locked up your franchise corner piece. You can't just use that as a handcuff going forward now. You have to develop these prospects. You have to go out and get help. So I am thrilled 
and they needed this to change the narrative. They needed this type of signing as a, as an organization, because I, I had a friend text me today after the news broke and he said, signing Jose Ramirez was a given. He was already here. So this does nothing for my excitement level for the year. And I, I was kind of flabbergasted by that take because when has a player of Jose's caliber ever been a given in a Cleveland baseball uniform? It's not. I made a mention today on, um, on the article I posted for uh, our um, site, obviously um, the, the list of players that have, you know, gone, whether it be free agency or traded away, I mean, that that have almost even made the Hall of Fame at this point, you know, uh, is just about as long as the QB jersey for the Browns. You know, when you think back just from, you know, our childhoods, you have like the Outer Bells, the Manny Ramirez, the, um, you know, Jim Tomey went, CC Cliff, everybody's ha- has always gone some way or another. More often than not, they've been traded. This is the first time that I, in my memory, that we're going to have a player that has stuck around and stayed with the team possibly since Sandy Almar. I don't, I don't remember. Did Sandy play anywhere else after Cleveland? But I mean, regardless, that's to think back that far, Sandy Almar being the, the one. And even then, I don't think Sandy's ever going to make the hall of fame or anything like that. But Jose's definitely got a, uh, a career that looks like it would be headed that way. Sandy Elmar was all over the place after his, his uh Oh, he did play for, for Chicago. But, is, but right. yeah, but just uh, just an FYI, just to make you feel old, Gerbs, uh, Sandy Elmar's last uh, season with the with Cleveland was when I was six. Uh, so I don't remember it at all. But um, no, it, it is. Children. <laughs> no, we, um, we went from worrying that Jose Ramirez was going to be traded to knowing for a fact that he can't be traded. I mean, the no trade clause actually like, you know, as much as this is an, this is a situation where we as fans are directly at odds with ownership because, you know, the last thing any of us want to see is Jose Ramirez get traded now. And now we don't have to worry about that. Even in 2028, we don't have to worry about that. Uh, so that is absolutely thrilling. I mean, He's just a special, special player. I uh, highly recommend Gerbs' piece. Uh, I also highly recommend uh, Ben Clemens' piece on uh, the ringer that is less about, you know, how, how it feels and, and just kind of praising Jose Ramirez as a player. Uh, he, he, the, the, the short of the idea is Jose Ramirez is just the best, the best in baseball by a fair amount of hitting balls in the air to the pull side. That's what he does well. He pulls, he's not the most powerful. He doesn't hit the furthest homers. He doesn't hit the hardest homers. In fact, we actually did a query in uh, the Discord earlier today uh, showing that he actually hits some of the the weakest homers uh, in in Major League Baseball. But it doesn't matter because he is just so, so good at pulling the ball into the air. You know, you can you can knock it. You write it down. Thirty-five homers. He is so so good at managing the strike zone. He does not swing at pitches out of the strike zone. He does not swing and miss. You should not be able to hit thirty-five homers easily, and also strike out as infrequently as he does, while still walking as much as he does. Uh, it's it's truly incredible. We are absolutely blessed to get to watch this guy for seven more years, if not more. Uh, and I can't wait to get started tomorrow. It's going to be like a weight lifted off of our shoulders as fans watching this. We already kind of had the, the feeling that 2022 was going to be another bridge year after none of the offices, front office uh, free agent plays or big trade targets kind of came through. So you just had this really dark sense that if they didn't get this done, it was going to be a not-so-fun 162-game season. Because if they didn't sign him, you're going to have to deal with every broadcast talking about, well, when's he going to be traded, where he's going to be traded. And what good is prospect development if you don't have a superstar? Right. We're always looking forward to to tomorrow. It's never about today. So, yeah. I mean – your friend is right. It doesn't really change the outlook for this season, right? We still have Jose Ramirez, although who knows? He might have been traded, as we've discussed. Like, we might not have had Jose Ramirez. 
uh, to get to watch for for 162 at the very least. Um, and now we get to watch this guy forever. And that's just, you know, nothing could make me happier as a baseball fan. I think it was our first podcast I closed with. I want to see 11 hanging in the stadium. And this it's is a real possibility. This is what does it now. I mean, he's going to be close to 36 when this deal expires. Yeah. And father time is undefeated. You never know what's going to happen, but it feels like player longevity goes well into players thirties these days. I mean, look at Josh Donaldson who's still yeah. out there around that doing it. Um, you know, Charlie Morton pitcher, different position, but Miguel Cabrera, the obvious example still out there, but you know, even if he did go somewhere and play a year or two or three and chase a ring, if it doesn't work in the next seven years here, I, I think 11 is all but guaranteed to be in the stadium forever. Honestly, For sure. if he retired today, like if he, or tomorrow, whatever, if he retired after the season, he would still get hung up. Like he is that yeah. level of player. Absolutely. I think the rest of his career at this point is how many years is he going to be on the Hall of Fame ballot now with the numbers that he's put up and will continue to put up. Hopefully. Yeah, I don't think there, I don't think we have a problem with uh, with that. I, generally speaking, guys that finish in the top three of the MVP are probably uh, the number the the likelihood of that being in the Hall of Fame are, are probably pretty good on that. So yeah, yeah. Um, sure. So we have uh, we have a big uh, thing happening tomorrow. Obviously, it's opening day, as uh, Mitch um, alluded to with uh, um, his comments previously. Before we get to that, though, I do we did have another extension that happened in our um, off time in between our podcast. Uh, the one with Zach last week and today, uh, Emmanuel Classe signed an extension that was a uh, five year deal for twenty million, and there's another two years that are ten million dollar options each. Uh, buys out two of his free agent years if those options get picked up. Um, Classe was not somebody that we had really talked about as having. Um, an extension option, you know, it, we always hear about the big name guys like Bieber and, and others, obviously we've been discussing Jose since we've had a podcast. Um, what is your feelings about Classe's extension? Is it, uh, is it about where he, where you would have him? Did he leave some money on the table? Um, did you, uh, do you think that he got a, a fair shake or, uh, or are they overpaying for um, one year of, of greatness? Yeah. So I don't think they're overpaying at all. Saves get really expensive in arbitration. And that's kind of the gamble that Classe is taking here. He's taking security, financial security over, you know, the uncertainties of, am I going to blow my arm out? You know, I, I think any young pitcher who throws 102 is always aware of that distinct possibility that it can happen to anybody, no matter the precautions you take, the stretching that you do. So him taking job security or financial security rather than taking the gamble of what could come on arbitration, I think is a very smart move. And that's there. There's two things to that. Um, the, the first is that this is a contract that I think Cleveland's front office needs to get more aggressive about offering with a lot of these young guys coming up through the system. And it's something I've wondered when I've seen Ozzy Albies get contract, got his contract when Evan Longoria got one 10, 15 years ago, it feels like now. Uh, what you like Acuna, what you like Jimenez got, and what to a certain degree now, what Wander Franco has gotten with the Rays. Pretty much everyone on the White Sox. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. But th this is something, you know, Prospects aren't a sure thing, but if you get Valera next year and he rips the cover off the baseball and looks like a stud, knowing his injury history, you look at him and say, we'll offer you seven years, 70 million, 10 million right now. Yes, in our two, you could be worth 15 million depending on your numbers, but do you Absolutely. think you're going to be healthy enough to get that? Right. Are yeah. you, I, it's, the problem with, the problem is, is a, a, this is not like, you know, I tend to have a pro player stance. Like I tend to be pro player, but I'm also a fan of the Guardians, so I'd like them to have good players. Um, so the the obvious solution is that the Dolans should spend more money. Uh, but given given that um, seems, you know, uh, contrary to previous patterns, shall we say? Um, I don't. Um, you know, like obviously, like if they sign Valera and sign away two of his free agent years. 
Uh, I'm definitely not going to complain about it. <laughs> no, I think uh, that this is absolutely the kind of contract that they need to make to, to build a core. Uh, I don't, I agree with you, Ethan. He uh, certainly is, uh, he, he, he is leaving money on the table. Uh, but at the same time, there is no guarantee that he was going to be the guy he was last year for the rest of his pre-arb and arb deals or arb years, I guess. Um, so, so that's absolutely, uh, something that, that, you know, now he has that financial security and, and, and you made an interesting point about the saves, uh, you know, guys want to get saves because they want to get paid in arbitration, right? Now you play him, he can pitch in the eighth inning, seventh inning, he's still gonna get paid the same amount. Um, and that is good for the team because sometimes the save situation is, you know, the seven, eight, nine hitters and you're up three runs. Like you don't need a manual class A pitching in that situation. Sometimes it's the eighth inning and it's tied and the three, four, five's up and one among you want class A. Uh, and now there isn't that pressure on him to try and like maximize his arbitration earnings. He can just pitch when they tell him to pitch and get the best guys on the other team out as much as he can. And that goes both ways too, because from the team perspective, especially with a team that has the reputation that Cleveland does about pinching pennies, right? Maybe knowing that saves are so expensive on arbitration, they see a save opportunity and they're like, throw Karen check out there. Don't, don't give him that chance. Now they have the freedom to be like, well, if we want class A to have 48, 50 save opportunities a season and get us 45 to 50 yeah. saves, they don't have to hold that back. Right. He's being and paid already. Right. And you're running the risk of like, do I give this guy all these saves and like drive up his cost or do I pitch him in the eighth inning and piss him off? And you don't want to do that. Uh, and now they can have their cake and eat it too, uh, which is great. And class A is now a 20 millionaire that rules for him. Uh, so like, it's a pretty win-win. Yeah. Maybe he would have been like a 35 millionaire if he had played it out sent like, but he also could have been like a, a zero millionaire. He could have, he could blow out his arm this year, not on wood right now. Uh, but point is he, um, you know, he is now, a, he, he now is a, a made man. He is now, you know, his kids are going to grow up and, and be a very, very comfortable. So um, $30 million. Cause if he's as good as he was, you know, it, those options are probably going to get picked up by Cleveland. Hopefully. I, Hopefully. I mean, that's the best case scenario for Cleveland. Right. Uh, and, and and um, you know, hopefully tomorrow we get to see Class A, he have the shiny new contract, uh, close out the game. But there's also some excitement about who's starting the game, right? Yes. We have our opening day lineup to a point. There is uh... – we had a there was a leak from someone I don't actually know well it was Tito's comment so I don't I don't it wasn't a leak necessarily can't remember who actually tweeted it but um we have uh we have word that the uh, outfield is set for tomorrow we already knew that Miles Straw was going to be uh, the center fielder um, but we found out that uh, Ahmed Rosario is going to be in left field and Stephen Kwan is going to be in right field um, we uh, have definitely uh, been on the Kwan train. Um, this uh, this off season, this winter that we uh, have been preparing for, um, but uh, it, it, so it's great to hear that Quan is actually going to get the start, be there in um, be there in center or be there in uh, right field rather. Um, we were talking in our Discord. This is kind of the lineup that we wanted. I mean, maybe a few pieces where we'd like maybe a, a look at Gabriel Arias at shortstop rather than having uh, Andres Jimenez there. Not uh, me. Right, we say, and, and there's some there's some that uh, arguments about who would be at short best and who would be at second. Um, imagining that Ahmed being in left will mean that Andres Jimenez would be at shortstop. Um, it seems as though the team is favoring Yu Chang right now, so it's likely that he would get their start at second. But it's possible that it could be Owen Miller or Ernie Clement as well. Um, but this uh, this seems to be a lineup that we that we like that we've been pretty much longing for. Um, Mitch, you obviously uh, are okay with Jimenez being at shortstop uh, over Ar uh, Arias. Um, why don't you go ahead and uh, and lead that? Where are you? Uh, where are you at with him, uh, Andres? And um, and what uh, what makes you so uh, the the conductor on the train here? Yeah, no, I mean I've been an Andres Jimenez uh, supporter since they traded for him, uh, partially because 
people were like, oh, the Lindor return, it was not good. Like, they just got this guy who plays shortstop, kind of. He's just a worse Lindor replacement. It's like, that's really unfair to Andres Jimenez. Uh, I disagree with that strongly. I, I think um, about Ahmed at that point. <laughs> fair. Even more disrespectful <laughs> to Andres Jimenez. Uh, no, Jimenez, he has always hit. He has always hit in the minors, um, at least at a league average pace, uh, oftentimes better. And he is an elite, elite a shortstop defender, uh, significantly better than Ahmed Rosario, as I have oft complained. Uh, now, the problem with uh, Andres Jimenez uh, was just that he started really horribly last year. Um, he you know, started the year major league team. He played for the first six weeks of the season and uh, he, you know, he was not very good. He, he, I, I don't have the number in front of me, but was probably in the forties WRC plus meaning that he was somewhere between 50 and 60% below league average uh, with his like on base and slugging. And um, so that, you know, that's obviously horrible. Um, and uh they set him down, which was much to my chagrin, because I think uh, he has always shown he's a good hitter, and I think he can snap out of it. And he did snap out of it in a fairly big way uh, in the second half, uh, or I guess when he got called back up, which was in uh, early August. From then on, he was uh, not quite at a league average pace, but below league average pace, just below league average pace, um, and played elite defense. And that is a major league quality shortstop. And we are talking about someone who is 23 years old. Like last year, uh, I actually, I think last year was his age 23. No, last year was his age 22 season. This is his age 23 season. Um, most guys who are 23 years old are still in the minor leagues. Uh, and here he is being an elite defender and slightly below league average hitter, which is a borderline all-star level player if he plays every day. That is amazing. Um People should respect Andres Jimenez. He should have been the shortstop last year. Uh, I will get off my band or my soapbox. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Ethan, what do you have um, in re- in rebuttal, possibly, uh, or do, what do you have to talk about with um, Ahmed and Quan being in the outfield for tomorrow? I ha- I have nothing to rebut with uh, Andres. I I really think that he was thrown to the wolves last season. I don't think he ever got a fair shake. Those were big shoes to fill with not a little time, to- not a lot of time for a twenty two year old, and you know it the criticisms of Francona of not playing as young players or not utilizing them properly in recent years has been fair. So Jimenez never really got a fair chance this year. I think we're going to see the true Andres Jimenez this year. Now, does that mean he's going to hit 320 doubles, 20 homers? Probably not, but you're going to see significant improvement over last year. But as far as Quan and Rosario go, this is huge. Um, We talked a little bit and asked, uh, Meisel last week about Stephen Kwan and what the team thinks of him. And obviously the, the group think of national writers and fangrass people, it's been incredible. The meteoric rise that he's had, um, you know, 80 yeah, grade one guy lists him, one guy lists him as a top prospect. And now everyone, <laughs> Oh, Kwan, he's the rookie you know, of the year. Calling him the rookie of the year. <laughs> yeah. You know, Sarah's rookie of the year, uh, the guy from Fangraphs that does fantasy baseball calling him top 30 outfielder. I mean, Alex there's Chamberlain. a lot. Alex Chamberlain, thank you. There's a bunch of hype behind him right now. And frankly, I think it's well-deserved. Obviously, guys have to perform. But I think more of what this says is that the team and the front office have seen enough of Bradley Zimmer and Oscar Mercado. And 
I think Mercado's job is probably a bit safer, probably platoon him against lefties. But, you know, you, you think about opening day, they're not facing a slouch in Zach Granke tomorrow. He's a crafty veteran who's going to be ridiculously hard to hit no, no matter what. So to, to put Quan out there and have his first real major league at bat against Zach Greinke, it is a pretty unheralded vote of confidence right now, I think. Zimmer struck out 16 times in 35 plate appearances in the spring. His career average is like 35%. That's up near 50. He hit 156. Quan has struck out in uh, spring training so far this year. A cold, hard zero. Quan did not strike he's... out once in over 30 plate appearances. And that's he's exactly what he is. No, he's incredible. He has the greatest strike zone awareness I have ever seen on a player. And it's going At least to be a prospect, really... right? He's yes. not as good as Joey Votto. He still has to hit major league <laughs> pitching, but it is incredible what he is doing. So I, I think that move that he's going to start in right field tomorrow, we haven't seen the full lineup. We don't know where he's going to hit probably somewhere in the bottom half of the order until he really starts putting some numbers up and getting more confidence from Tito and the rest of the staff. But yeah, that's, you know, that's a huge thing, but also throwing Rosario in left field on opening day when the team was so adamant about him being the shortstop also gives a massive vote of confidence to Andres Jimenez as well. So again, we don't know who we're going to see at second base. It's going to be one of Chang Miller or Clement, but this was something for the longest time that we thought we were just going to have Jim and SBR every day, second baseman. For sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and on uh, ending on uh, Jimenez, I, I checked up the baseball reference. Jimenez is uh pronunciation on him. So I don't know taking baseball reference for it as a, as, as much as I can. I think it's Jimenez going forward. Um, but uh to Mitch's point about how much he struggled last year in the beginning and um, at the end, in the first half, um, he had a, a, a WRC plus of 43 and he 94 or along the second half. He didn't come back up until August. Um, in that first half, he had 85 uh, plate appearances and 125 in the second half. So you can see the numbers there, the that large number at the back end. Um, definitely was something that helps out with that. Um, they set so him down it, after 85 plate appearances. That's just yeah. not fair. They gave him yeah. a, a, an unfair shake. We're talking about a guy who in 2020 graduated from Prospectum and, and, and Fangraphs gave him a 50 future value. That's the same thing that Brian Rocchio has for them. That's the same thing as Gabriel Arias has for them. And you hear all this hype for those dudes. You hear no hype for Jimenez just because he's already here. It just goes to show that people like the unknown. People like unwrapping gifts more than they do just like getting handed a, a, a new computer mouse or whatever you guys get for gifts. Um, you know, you <laughs> you you want you want the mystery, and I get that. Like prospects are just like more fun. Um, but Jimenez, we we don't know what we have with him. He 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 genuinely could be uh, he could be the future shortstop of this team. He absolutely could be that. Um, it's just unfair. Uh, regarding Quan, uh, I love Quan. I, like I've always loved Quan, and I have been searching for like the last several months. I'm pretty sure I uh, did a Fangraphs chat with one of their prospect dudes at the time, and was like, "What about Stephen Quan?" And they were like, "Stephen Quan, like, psh, like he's non-prospect." It's like I'll show you, Kylie McDaniel. Now nah, he he was right. No one saw this coming with Quan. This is that I. Uh, is Kyler McDaniel's very good at his job. I'm just kidding. Um, but the dude just never swings and misses, as Ethan said. I mean, not only does he have zero strikeouts uh, in spring training this year, but he walked more than he struck out in AAA last year after walking the same amount as he struck out last year. Uh, or Sorry, in AA. Um, and last year, um, he kind of quieted the doubters by, by answering his one question mark which was essentially, um, you know, can he hit for any power at all? Or is he just like kind of this slap hitter who has a low ceiling? And like, I'm not saying that he is going to be a, you know, an elite power hitter or anything like that. But the man did hit for like a fair, decent amount of power. What, what did we say? It was close to a 200 ISO in AAA last year. 
Yeah, it was 194 at AAA in uh, 120 play appearances, 202 at, at uh, AA Akron in 221. So in double in almost double the plate appearances, he had 10 more ISO uh, in, uh, in in double A. So that's really respectable. And it and if you want, uh, I was just pulling up the stat, uh, and I was kind of vamping. Uh, if you look at um, in 2021, if you set the minimum plate appearances to 300 uh, in the minor leagues last year, Quan got 341. And you sort by swinging strike rate, which is not uh, misses per swing, but it's misses per pitch. How often do you swing and miss at the pitch? Um, his swing strike rate was, oh, shoot, I lost the tab. 2.6%. 2.6%. He swung and missed one out of every uh, 40 pitches. Wow, I had to do some quick math there. One out of every 40 pitches. That's incredibly few. The The next lowest in, in minor league baseball was almost double his percentage. Like, he is a truly, truly incredible uh, prospect in terms of just pure bat on ball ability. Uh, and I can't wait to see how it translates to the major leagues. I mean, we I got to watch him in a little bit of spring training. And Guy would get to 0-2, 1-2 count. He'd get a high fastball and he'd slap it over the shortstop's head. Uh, you know, this guy, he should get a, you know, he should get two for three tattooed onto his forehead. Like, cause that is who he is. Uh, and I, and I just can't wait to see how it translates, uh, regarding his fielding. He, uh, all, everything I've read on him is that he has very, very good defensive instincts. He's a, he is a natural outfielder. The guy can run, he could play center field if the team didn't employ one mile straw. Uh, but between him and straw, uh, governing right and center, uh, the man is uh, – so that side of the, the outfield is going to be covered. And you can hide Ahmed Rosario in left field uh, because Straw can can shade a little bit his way and cheat a little bit because Quan can cover so much ground and right. Um, it's just like all of a sudden, like this joke, the, the Cleveland outfield, they're running out there, guys, you've never heard of, Quad A um, – now the, the outfield's no joke. It's a it's a major league outfield um, between Rosario, Quan, and and Straw. That's 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 a darn good outfield. I'm I'm sorry. Like credit where credits due. Um, the outfield's been a joke for several years. It's no longer a joke. Yeah, I don't think we get to uh, put away the uh, the the moniker just yet. I, I do think that it's a it's a tattoo that the Guardians. Re- organization has has long earned of having a bad outfield at least since you know the heydays but uh we are definitely in a, in a way in a path of of respectability at least a little bit more with Quan out there straw out there i mean you know it was for a while it was brantley and hopes out, out in the outfield but uh yeah. um you know we're definitely looking at uh at some options there and and i i it's it's I guess it's almost been a secret. I actually haven't. I'm not a. a I take a second. I actually like Ahmed Rosario. <laughs> it's really hard to say. Um, I don't because I know he's a, a a player that comes under a lot of scrutiny because there's not really a spot for him on his roster. When I um, I, it may be because I'm a sucker for fantasy, and so I uh, I had him during his year when he went off in New York, and so I was. Uh, wanting wanting him to be better than he was um and has been for cleveland that's not to say that he's been bad but he's just hasn't been what we uh i think possibly expected the 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 90th percentile outcome that we they saw in that year in the mets was just not going to happen um and so i don't mind him being out in left field i i think that uh the prospects that are you know he's he's not uh stealing time from anybody out in left field that we need to see. I mean, right at this point in time, with, with Nolan Jones being injured, uh, Valera being um, uh, Nolan Jones being injured, Valera being so far down, um, there's just some options that uh, I think that there that Rosario is not uh, holding is not holding spot for, um, in my opinion, at least. Um, because I, I admittedly am not as much of a uh, prospect guy as you guys are, um, and in our little chat, I'm being I'm being scolded as to who I'm missing out on and who I'm at stealing from. So I will let you guys have it. But uh, after we, uh, I'll let you guys talk about 
who you want to talk about that Ahmed is stealing time from, and then we will go for uh, the rotation next and, and just go over that real quick before we get to our hater bold predictions to end out the podcast. So it's going to be a revolving door of guys this season. I, I think that should be an expectation that everybody has this season, that a lot of the guys like Zimmer, Mercado, Bradley, they're going to be on short leashes, and there's a lot of top talent at the top of the farm. But a guy who had a really respectable spring was Richie Palacios, and I was actually kind of surprised to see him get the axe and get optioned back to AAA when he did in that, I think it was the second wave of cuts. But Palacios is another one of these guys that's cut from the same cloth that Cleveland's front office has been trying to get of, you know, solid contact hitter, not really for power, lots of speed, and he fits right in. So Ahmed is probably taking some time away from Palacios, who's going to be 25 this season. He's probably ready to break through. He hit over 300 in spring training this season, had put up some pretty solid at-bats. I mean, we have to have the guy who rocks those glasses at the plate in the lineup. It's incredible. But, yeah, we hyped him. We hyped him last week with Meisel too, right? And yeah, we did. But he's he's a younger and probably going to be equivalent, if not better, at the plate version of Ahmed Rosario as a hybrid second baseman corner outfielder. So you know you're paying money to a guy who doesn't fit, who's just blocking a guy who does a very similar thing, who might be better with a bat, who might be a better defender somewhere out there. You know, we don't yeah. know until we try, but. He's not really known for his defense either at second or in the quarter outfield spots. Right. It's kind of just like, it's kind of the, the, like if this team were competing, if we were like, uh, you know, we're one league average hitter away from uh, making the playoffs and it's between Ahmed Rosario and Richie Palacios, you'd go with Ahmed Rosario in a second because we know that's what Ahmed Rosario is. He is a solid major league average hitter. He hits for contact. That's what he does. Um, Richie Palacios, uh, he's projected to be about that level, you know, uh, you know, close to league average, depending on what projection system you like. But he could be amazing. And this team's not competing. This team is not one one Ahmed Rosario away from making the playoffs. Uh, it's several players better than Ahmed Rosario away from making the playoffs, of which Richie Palacios could be one. He could also not be one, but we don't know. One thing we do know is Ahmed Rosario isn't that guy, right? So, uh, yeah, why, why, why keep this guy who we have for two more years? Um, you know, who could fetch something on the trade market? I mean, he is a league average player. I mean, he was uh, at shortstops last year. He was worth two point seven F WAR. Uh, rule of thumb: two WAR is about a league average contributor. So he was uh, he was a arguably above average league contributor. Um, why, what, what, like you're telling me no one wants a, a league average hitter who can play shortstop. I, I find that hard to believe. Um, so that's why I'm kind of, I've kind of always been against Rosario. It's not anything personal about him. He's a perfectly useful major league hitter. Um, it's just, he is not what this team needs. He, this team needs upside. This team needs stars. We, this team does not need 280 with mediocre power and mediocre on base too. Right. Yeah. I think that's, you can see the profiles that they are looking at trying to acquire um, contact hitters, you know, on base guys. And Ahmed's unfortunately just, he's, he's better than some, but not as much as some of the other guys. So uh, I, uh, you guys have swayed me a little bit more than I thought you were going to on, uh, on Ahmed. So, I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Let's move on uh, to the rotation. Um, we have a four-man rotation to start the season, which is expected um, as much as uh, these guys are going to be short with length. 
um, in the these games are we're probably going to see them get through four innings, five innings, maybe if they're lucky. But uh, so that means that we have a four man rotation going. Uh, obviously, Bieber is going to start tomorrow's game. Um, Sorry, um, I'm just typing stuff to make you laugh. In the, you are at this point. It's great. It's yeah. great. It's great. Um, <laughs> uh, one day, maybe you'll see the private chats of uh, what we have here on in our podcast. But um, oh, no, they're rated double, triple X. No one can see those. <laughs> We're PG 13 here. Um, <laughs> but uh, so obviously, we have Bieber t- starting tomorrow. Zach Plezak is going to get the start on Saturday. Uh, Aaron Savale, I believe, is. Um, after him on Sunday, and then Cal Quantrill. That means that Tristan uh, McKenzie, uh, who is pretty much everybody's chance for breaking out in the rotation, is going to be a piggyback. Um, and also, you know, as I stated, with these guys not being stretched out as much, you're going to see some more two or three inning uh, bumps with your Connor Plinkenton, um, Pilkenton, uh, and Eli Morgan. Um, I don't know what the plan is for Sam Henches, for other guys in the bullpen. I don't know how long those guys are uh, planned to go for, but um, might see a couple more bullpen days as well. Uh, what do you guys, Ethan, what do you think um, about the starting rotation? Uh, who is most likely to get the Tristan piggyback? Um, who's most likely to get the Eli Morgan one and um, the the Connor Pilkenton? Who is going to get... Uh, his piggyback in at least this first go around. So Mackenzie and Plezak piggybacked off of each other all through spring. I, I would find it hard to imagine that changes. Um, and anything could, we, we don't know anything beyond that, but I would think that those two would stay together as a pair. So Saturday, I, I think you guys are going to be around a 60 pitch count is what they're going to be limited to. So you'll probably see, three and two thirds to four innings from most of the guys in the rotation. And then hopefully two to three innings out of anybody out of the bullpen. Yes. Barring getting shelled uh, in the first two innings or the first time through the lineup, but you know, in a perfect world and how obviously we think of the rotation, we're fairly confident in their abilities, but you know, this is a bizarre year. It's going to be strange. There's going to be a lot of this the first month of the year while they can take advantage of those two extra arms in the bullpen with the 28 man roster. But as far as Pilkington, Eli, and I would assume the fourth is probably Logan Allen. Uh, I would probably put Logan Allen as far down as you can. So if Quantrill's making that fourth start of the season, put Logan there. Um, The team and Terry Francona especially had really glowing things to say about Connor Pilkington. I don't know if I necessarily saw that translate. It was spring training. Sample sizes are small. Obviously, those plate appearances don't matter. But the team was impressed with something i would probably see him third uh, but you're probably going to see eli morgan tomorrow if i had to guess he feels like a good follow-up to bieber they're very differing pitching styles and eli had a really nice spring uh mitchell and i talked about this in our private chat i'm very excited to see eli morgan with a radar gun he looked like he put on some extra weight he's got some really nice muscle a couple of the the coaches and even some of the writers have commented on it uh, you know, in the spring training ballparks, we didn't have access to stat cast, so we couldn't see how fast he was throwing. And we would love to see him throw in 91 to 94 on that fastball to just pair with that filthy changeup. So going to be That'd excited be to amazing. see. Yes, it's going to make him a, a deadly pitcher. So yeah. I, I would probably guess Bieber, Morgan, uh, Plezak, McKenzie, Savali, Pilkington, and Quantrill Logan. Sounds about right. Seems like as good a guess as any. Yeah, I can um, say it. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to, you know, guess exactly how many games we're going to win. Uh, you know, we don't know what the, uh, what the situation will be, but yeah, I, I, that sounds as good as anything to me. Mitch, what do you uh, think about the rotation uh, starting out? Yeah, I mean, so the rotation is good. It's, uh, you know, Shane Bieber is excellent. Um, I think projections are underselling him a little bit this year just because he didn't pitch much last year uh pitchers are injury they're they're, they're vulnerable like they, they get hurt all the time like you know Jacob maybe he won't pitch. shaking his head <laughs> like yes he um 
He did miss some time last year, but I think Cleveland's pretty good at managing pitcher injuries, and uh, he pitched a full slate the prior year. So, you know, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that he, you know, returns to his workhorse ways of, of days of old. Um, you know, after that, like, I'm kind of uh, – I'm very hot and cold on Zach Plesak, as we've discussed uh, on these uh, airwaves. Um, I think he could be excellent. He was in 2020. I think he could be not a major league starting pitcher like he was in 2021, arguably. At very worst, he was a bad MLB starting pitcher in 2021. Um, and it just all depends on if he can get back to having that elite command and that uh, really high slider usage and having confidence in that pitch. Uh, you know, we will see. Um, yeah, Quantrill and Savali are both innings eaters. That's, that's the main point here is that in the past, we're really used to these amazing Cleveland rotations with, uh, you know, not just Kluber, but we got Carrasco and you got he who shall not be named and you got Mike Clevenger and you got, uh, you know, a whole, you got four dudes who like are legitimate, you know, could be number ones in other uh, rotations in lesser rotations. But uh, you know, in, in Cleveland, Mike Clevenger was the fourth starter and this is not that rotation. Like we need to need to recognize that like, Maybe one of these dudes takes a leap, but I, other than McKenzie, I wouldn't really count on it. Um, McKenzie, as as Gerbs pointed out, he's everyone's darling. He is everyone's pick to break out, rightfully so. I remember watching the Tristan McKenzie near perfect game in the med school library when I should have been studying, uh, and just on pins and needles, like, is this guy gonna do it? I think he made it seven and two thirds, and it was, uh, you know. Like, it would have been so gratifying for me uh, and also for him, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, the guy is just such a great story. He seems like a great kid. Love uh, funky dudes who release the ball from a weird place and have, have really cool, not typical bodies. All about inclusivity here on the corner cast. Um, so, yeah, uh, McKenzie is my pick to break out. Um, and, uh, and, and there really isn't anyone else. There is no one else. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, uh, we've gone over the rotation a couple of weeks ago and yeah. Um, Mackenzie definitely is the guy that looks to be the next stud, um, guy out there, hopefully. Um, and, and like I said, I do think that, um, it, the point that the rotation is the strength of the team is, uh, is, is, overstated i think almost at this point but the the guys that are making it up are not guys like you said in the past um you know are, are not guys that are going to go out and be the aces of other teams um but it doesn't mean that they're doesn't mean that they're bad it just means that that level of um that error bar is a little bit lower the ceiling right. is a little bit lower on the rotation it just not, means this uh, isn't a top three rotation it's a top 15 rotation right so Okay, we let's finish up tonight with going over some bold predictions, uh, some hitters to watch. Um, I toyed with trying to name this segment. I don't really have one, and I don't really uh, feel like trying to go over it. So uh, what do you guys think of bold predictions? Who do you want to talk about on um, the hitter side? Because we did the pitchers two weeks ago when uh, before we did the, uh, the Zach podcast. Um, Ethan, do you have a hitter that you wanted to uh, discuss tonight? So I did mine a little bit weird last time around. It was more, you know, bullpen bashing, not intentionally. I just don't see how that's all going to come together. So this time around, I really think there's potential for awards. So I highlighted three guys to look at. And I'm going to lead with one, not for his offensive prowess, but I'm going to throw this out there. Based on his numbers last season and who won the actual awards, Miles Straw is going to contend for a platinum glove in 2022, is my bold prediction. I was going to say All Star. Nice. All Star could be really fun too. Uh, this is a guy who hit 30 doubles, stole 30 bases, hit 260 last season. He is the prototypical old school cool leadoff hitter, but his defense is incredible. I mean, he does stuff out there that you know Kevin Kiermaier was doing at his prime before he really started hitting the injury wall with Tampa Bay. Um, you know, the, the winners last year were Nolan Arenado and Carlos Correa. Um, comparing the numbers, obviously positions are different. Straw's numbers were light years better than Correa's defensively last year. So 
it kind of comes down to who had eyes on who, what teams were more prevalent, all of that kind of thing. And Nolan Arenado is Nolan Arenado over at third base in St. Louis. But I think Straw has a real chance. I don't think anybody's really going to fight him for gold glove, but I think he's really going to compete for the platinum glove in the American League for center field. I think uh, Minnesota center fielder might have something to say about no one competing uh, with him, but I hope you're right. I question Buxton's health. I, I think say, he's I an incredible player, but I need to see that guy play 150 games, not just 60. You don't want to. You don't want to root for injury, but you got to. Buxton has to prove that he can actually be healthy. Course, he's like Grady Sizemore. I respect him so much, and for what we never got with Grady, I hope Minnesota gets because right. base, it's one of baseball's greatest what ifs. Grady Sizemore, and you almost yeah. feel it could be the same with Byron Buxton. Right with Byron Buxton, it's like okay, well, we have to like root for what's good for the sport too. Yes. You know? And Byron Buxton is obviously good for the sport. For sure. Uh, Ethan, do you want to finish up or Mitch, do you want to go with one I'm of sorry. your hitters? Hmm? I said, I'm go sorry for, for cutting, cutting Ethan off. Oh, no, no, you're uh, good, man. Sure. Uh, I will go with, uh, uh, okay. I'll go with Bobby Bradley. Uh, and you know, like being a negative guy about a player, like this is a person and he's like a, he's a, seems like a pretty good guy. And like, I, I, I like Bobby Bradley. Like I, I'm rooting for him. Right. Like I'm not, it's not like, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I can't wait for Bobby Bradley to be done. Like, no, it'd be great. I, I would really love to see him because his home runs are beautiful. Like they are like arguably more aesthetically pleasing than even Bromiel Reyes is. And that's saying something like I actually was at the game where he had his first career home run and it was probably the most impressive home run I've ever seen live. Like it was just gorgeous. Um, so like I am absolutely rooting for him. Just want to get that out of the way before I say like dude's got to get better if he wants to stick in the major leagues um, or Major League Baseball needs to adopt uh, a greater roster size so that teams can have guys on their bench who are destined to be only pinch hitters of the Matt Stairs variety uh, or of the John Cruck variety, guys coming off the bench just to pinch hit. Because that's what he is. He is a guy who it's like, all right, like he has a decent shot of hitting a home run. Uh, and if he doesn't hit a home run, he is probably going to get out. Um just a 294 on base percentage last year, uh, which for a first baseman is borderline unacceptable, if not just entirely unacceptable. His overall line was saved by his power a bit, giving him a 99 WRC plus. Uh, so right around average, 100's average, remember. Uh, so like, well, you'll take that from a shortstop, right? I was just talking about how Andres Jimenez was so good at a 94 WRC plus, and here I am bashing Bradley for a 99. But you expect better out of a first baseman. And the real problem is he chases uh, about at a league average clip, um, slightly more, uh, but he almost never makes contact. Like his contact numbers, uh, if you just look at per swing, his contact is 14 percentage points lower than the league average. Um, that's not like 14 percentage points worse than Miles Straw or Jose Ramirez. That is the league average player. Like, he is a bottom-of-the-barrel contact guy. And if you're not going to walk uh, and you're not going to hit for any contact and just strike out all the time, you got to hit for more homers than than he does. And he – yeah. So either he has to challenge 50 homers next year, 45 homers, probably not happening, or he needs to work on his approach, take more pitches out of the strike zone, stop chasing, hard to do, or he needs to just make more contact, also hard to do. I just don't see it. I just don't see it with him. And um, I hope I'm wrong. But, yeah, I think I think by the end of the year, we'll probably see, like, Nolan Jones at first base, Josh Naylor at first base, Yu Chang at first base, Owen Miller at first base, just not Bobby Bradley at first base. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that, um, especially being out of options. He's he's made the, uh, the trek back from Columbus and, and uh, too many times. Um, but, yeah, I, I – I, I think, and I mentioned it before, I think the the path they seem to be going is with the contact hitters because uh, it's a little, it's easier to uh, put some power on some guys' bats than it is to try to get the that bat to a ball. Um, and uh, speaking of contact guys, I am going to go with one of mine, 
Uh, you had mentioned uh, Josh Naylor as a possible first baseman. Um, I think Josh Naylor is going to end up uh, with the most first base starts of anybody this year. That's my bold prediction for Josh Naylor. Um, one thing I wanted to point out, uh, his swing strike rate is uh, phenomenal. Um, it, last year, it was a little bit higher. Um, obviously, he was had the gruesome, gruesome injury. But even last year, uh, uh, 9.8 swing strike rate. Um, if you put that uh, with a qualifying number of at-bats, so obviously take some, lose some from him. Um, he's right at Freddie Freeman level, Paul Goldschmidt level. Kike Hernandez was a little bit higher than him. Um, guys like uh, Cesar, uh, Nathaniel Lowe, Xander Bogarts were a little bit better. But, I mean, this is, you know, a, a top-notch uh, area that he's wanting to look, that he's being at. Um, he needs to get back to that, uh, the um, being more selective at the plate. Um, his walk rate uh, is only a 5.6%. The strikeout rate is 18, which is great in today's baseball in today's uh, baseball league. But that walk rate is just so low. He's obviously just chasing at pitches that uh, he uh, is not able to uh, to get around on. And and you know, it, as somebody that's so good at identifying the ball and getting the contact, he should be able to you know identify balls and and take some and be a little bit more patient at the uh um be a, be a little bit more patient at the plate but i i do think that he's going to come out of this as the uh leader with uh start at first base going into uh the end of the year so go ahead mitch really quickly before i i know we're pushing an hour so we gotta wrap um but really quickly like josh naylor is like this classic it's weird. He's got too many good skills and it kind of hurts him, right? Like you mentioned the swing strike rate. It's super low. It's it's impressively low for someone who has that much raw power. And he does have tons of raw power. Um, problem is he also swings a ton. And he swings a ton at pitches out of the strike zone specifically. Uh, so when you make elite contact and you swing at pitches out of the strike zone, what do you have? Weak contact. That's no good. Um, and so there are a couple ways he can go from here. He can try and cut down on his chase. Great. That's, that would be ideal in my opinion. He could also swing at more pitches in the zone, which is the, uh, Tim Anderson route. Tim Anderson swings at just as many pitches out of the strike zone as, uh, Josh Naylor, but he swings at almost every strike too. If Josh Naylor wanted to have that approach, um, that would probably also work. Um, but as it stands right now, he does not swing at enough strikes. He swings at too many balls, and he makes too much weak contact. Here's a guy who maybe just, like, figured out the right pitch to swing at. You know, we're talking about a guy who could hit almost 300, who, you know, he did walk some in the minors. Uh, maybe he could walk a little bit more uh, in the majors. And hit 35 homers. I mean, 290, 35 homers, decent on base, like good slugging. That's That is a good, good major league hitter. Uh, and that's his potential. So I'm with you groups. That's uh that's an awesome pick. Awesome. Well, guys, as Mitch was saying, we are getting close to uh, an hour on here. So we're going to wrap up because tomorrow is the big day. Tomorrow is opening day, the day that we've all been waiting for. Um, so uh, first pitch is at four o'clock, I believe. Correct. Four ten. Four o'clock Eastern. Uh, I think it's three ten local time in Kansas city, but, um, so uh, we will uh, I'll probably be in our Discord tomorrow um, as much as possible in a game thread. Um, Discord is, our, is uh, where we uh, have a ton of fun with our public side. Um, we do have a, a game thread chat that we talk about um, whatever game is on. Usually it's Cavs on Sundays uh, during the football season. It's Browns. Um, but we will definitely be uh, hitting that up tomorrow. Uh, as we watch Shane Bieber take on the Kansas City Royals. Uh, and uh, Steve Kwan uh, is going to get two hits tomorrow. That's my bold prediction. So um, you guys don't have to make any. I'm just putting it out there into the universe and hoping that that uh, the posy vibes that I have from my Jose shirt this morning 
continue to uh, irradiate into Steve Kwan's bat tomorrow. Um, so again, we're, uh, we're uh, wrapping up. We'll get this up on the site as soon as possible. And uh, see you guys for opening day. And uh, yeah, you guys take care. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.